welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of you. Um, I'm so honored to be here. Um, I've been in prog- in a program for about four years. So I'm one of the babies among all the speakers here. And I'm very grateful that I've been asked also to share my story. Um, you know, I just kind of wanted, before I go into talking about the topic itself, just kind of give you, I guess, maybe just a highlight of my past, of who I am, where I came from. Um, so you get an idea, basically, who is the person that journeyed through life and through this story. So um, I am from Poland originally, and um, for the past, wow, 20-something years, I've lived in the United States. But um, I came from a very loving, wonderful Christian family with very good values, um, loving brother, loving um, parents, very successful. Um, but I remember one point in my life, probably about four or five, maybe, I was very young that I remembered um, my very first interaction, sexual interaction, and it was I was molested by somebody from the family. Um, but it didn't last for long, but it was enough to turn my head and kind of put a, somewhat, somewhat of a seed in my head that something is not right. Um, I trusted that person and I loved that person and I was very confused. So I just didn't understand because on one hand, I knew that was what was not supposed to be happening, but on the other hand, it felt really good. And this confusion of a five-year-old child kind of took me into a whole different life that, I, that my higher power had planned for me. Um, masturbation was one of the biggest things for me to, to even go to bed and to, to soothe myself every night. And so, again, I remember even thinking to my, one of my girlfriends from kindergarten, sharing with her how great that is and she needs to try it. <laughs> so I've had to make amends since then to her. Don't even remember the girl's name, obviously, but I had to make amends that I steered her in the wrong way. So um, fast forward through high school, through my college, um, I continued that behavior and I was very, I can't say promiscuous, but I was very flirtatious. And I thought, I just like being around men. And it was just the coolest thing when I got attention from them. And something that I absolutely wanted to monopolize on. And so I would play the chase game. I loved um, flirting and I loved pulling men into my claws and until they started to behave the way I wanted. The minute they did, I would dump them and I would move on to somebody somebody else. And so that was a very bothersome behavior for me because I even remember at some point wondering if I will ever get married. Like, how can I ever be in a relationship if once I get close to someone, I dump them because I'm done with them? And that was exactly what I was doing. I was using people. So 
I was still in Poland, got my master's degree, and the next day after I did, I got my my degree. I was on the plane to the, to the United States, and um, I was gonna live for a couple months with my immediate family, um, and then I moved south with a guy that I met in Europe, and so we basically have for about a year prior to that we had a kind of long distance relationship. But the minute I moved in. He turned from Prince Charming to Prince Monster. Um, I mean, it went basically from from absolutely dreamy person that I that I met and I was so lucky to have met to basically he locked me up in a house um, that I was not even allowed to walk up to the window for within two feet, and I was separated from civilization for about a year. Um, the only time I was I'm sorry I'm getting a little emotional, but and my voice is gonna shake, but um, the only time I would be able to even go outside was in the backyard where there was like a 15 feet tall hedge surrounding the entire backyard. And that was it. That's all I saw. I didn't see any people. If he heard from neighbors that I was being seen, he would basically be very upset with me and do some extra things that were not pleasant. But he ultimately forced himself every single day um, on me. And that was very difficult to live because I was confused. On one hand, I'm thinking, this is supposed to be love and I'm supposed to be obedient to someone whom I love and who loves me. And this is how it's supposed to be. But on the other hand, I felt it was really wrong. So I prayed and my relationship with my higher power was not where it is today but I prayed and I said I remember hearing my father's voice saying to me you are better than that you can do some you can get out of this so I convinced him that I will get a job to pay off his debts and basically I kind of I kind of lied to him at this point but I was saving every single little bit of money that I had and for my possible escape. And so within a month or so, I just took his limo the minute he walked out the door because he had the limo service. I took his limo, packed everything I had, everything, which consisted maybe two boxes. <laughs> and I moved to a woman who kept telling me for months and months to, 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 to move in with her. And so that's how I met my first angel. And so from that point on, I met my husband after that. Um, I never said goodbye to that guy. I never gave him explanation. I just basically left. Um, I just didn't feel that he deserved any explanations. Um, And so I kind of shoved it in the back of my mind, somewhere in the corners of of my conscience, not thinking about it for, for, for years to come. And eventually, through when I got into the program, I'll just skip for a moment. When I got into the program, I was taught that I need to go back to all these moments where I had the trauma in my life and really kind of dissect it and open it up and see what part of it caused my acting out. So it was definitely going to be painful. But going back to my years when I met my husband, we had three children. And so I have an amazing relationship today with him. But about 10 years into, excuse me, five years into our uh, marriage, I had my first affair. Um, It started with online chatting, and then I basically paid for a guy for his airplane ticket because he came from Europe and paid for his hotel, um, and we basically had an affair for about a week. 
and my husband discovered me and that was the beginning of the shame cycle. I was mortified that me, good Christian woman, could possibly behave this way. How can I go outside of my marriage? How could I do all these things? I didn't even think about dangers. It was just how can I possibly cheat and be the cheater? And so for about 10 years after that, I did not act out. I did not fantasize. I didn't do anything because I was just very much filled with shame. And so I had about six years ago, I had a brain aneurysm that burst in my brain. And I was rushed to the hospital, spent about a month in an ICU fighting for my life. And during that, life, that time, I just don't remember anything. It was basically the whole month of my life is gone. I don't, I will never get it back. I can only get it back from the stories of people who witnessed. I've had every single day, somebody by my bedside praying. My, my priest and my, my pastor came to me several times throughout those, those days. And I remember people just praying constantly. So my faith has very much turned from this point, because I, I would not be here speaking to you guys right now had I not had all these people praying for me. But I found out also that when you have a, a severe drama to, trauma to your brain, um, a dopamine level is completely depleted. Well, we, I mean, as addicts, I found out also that we already have a lower levels of dopamine. So now on top of that, if I add this brain trauma and I'm completely depleted, all I wanted is to feel good. It took about two years for me to recover, to even stand up, to even walk, because, I mean, I don't have any deficits, which is only by the grace of God, that I have completely recovered. But... During those two years, all I could do is pretty much just stay in bed and, you know, maybe sit up. And so the phone device was my vice. <laughs> I started playing online games, meeting people in those games, and then meeting them in person. And basically, my addiction took off. I was under fire all the time. I remember my kids leaving in the morning. My husband was working out of out of out of city, out of or out of state, or out of the country. Monday through Saturday, he would come home on Sundays. So Monday through Saturday, I was acting out 10, 12 hours a day, nonstop. And it got to the point that I remember thinking, I cannot absolutely maintain this. I cannot maintain this lifestyle. I had seven acting out partners at once at one point. And all I was doing is just the videos, the chats, meeting people in person. And my bottom was, one of the bottoms was when I remember going, one, once before my kids got off the bus from school, I was going to a hotel to meet a guy that I just met the other day online. And I would meet him in a hotel. And I remember looking at him and he stunk and he was dirty and short. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, but it's just, he was not somebody that I would ever associate with. And I still had sex with him. And I, oh, that was just one of the worst moments of my life. And I thought, there's a problem. There's obviously a problem. But even when somebody told me that I'm possibly a psych addict, I was angry. I was, I, I was, my whole life, I was a victim. How can I be the predator? How can I be the addict? Until I came to SA. And that's where everything has changed. This program has saved my life. So 
I then will move on from what my story is to, you know, what I've learned here. You know, when I was asked to speak today, I thought, I only have three and a half years of sobriety. All these amazing speakers that have spoken before me have 10, 15, 20, 30 years. What can I possibly bring to the table that they don't? Or what could I, could I possibly con- contribute to this fellowship and help anyone me being just like a little baby who is still crawling versus somebody who has all this experience. And then I thought, okay, well, here it is again, this negative self-talk. I have nothing different. The only difference between me and someone who's got more sobriety than, than I do is the distance on the journey, the distance from the start line. But the distance to the ditch is the same. I mean, I can slip any moment and be in a gutter just as much as the person who's got 15 years. All it takes is that one one yes to the addiction and we are in a gutter. And so I want to share with you what I've learned, what really helped me to stay sober because I did have slips and I did have have relapses. And until I've taken those experiences into account and treated them as friends rather than enemies, how I can learn from it, that's when I could not stay sober before that. But until I've learned it and I started looking at my slips as stepping stones to my recovery, I started seeing progress. So how do we win under fire? Um, you know, everybody, every person reacts to stress very differently. And I remember reading even a book at some point on military combat and how soldiers approach stress because when they are in, in the moment of combat in a situation when it's life or death, immediate life or death, how do they control that stress in order to be able to perform? And so there are, there are four things that come into, um, into play. Normally, I would think that trigger causes me to act out, but it's not that simple. There are two more components to it. When the trigger appears, when I see an attractive man in a grocery store, I don't automatically go and start acting out that moment. It's the, it cannot happen immediately. The trigger has to create a thought in my head first. And that thought could be, wow, he's a good-looking guy. I notice him. But then the, what follows the thought itself is the action. Either do something about it in a negative way, in act out, or I can stay and choose to be sober. So I can notice the guy, but then I'm, I can maybe start fantasizing and imagining him, him with me in, in, the, in a sexual act. And eventually is the consequence of that action. It could be I lose my sobriety. I feel shame. I have to tell my husband, disclose this, that I've acted out in my head because I practice rigorous honesty. I tell him basically when I do slip. So those are the things that have to happen before we even go into the consequence. So the concept, knowing that a trigger happens first and then the thought follows helped me kind of realize and be prepared. And speaking of being prepared, you know, when, when I prepared myself knowing that my day is going to be uh, whatever is going to happen. Let's just say I prepare in the morning for my work. So I know I have certain meetings I have to have on the schedule. I have to make some phone calls. But I need to the same way prepare for my day in my program. So if I know that my day is going to be difficult, how will I handle a stress when it comes up? Will I have triggers that show up? If the triggers do appear, what do I do about them? 
when I am prepared ahead of time, then when something happens, I already have a plan. I already know what to do. Because when I am under fire, when something already triggered me and I'm already in that, there is very short distance from, from doing something about it and slipping, going all the way down to, to, to acting out. Very short. And that one split moment for me is where I have to decide, do I want to stay sober or do I want to go for it? If I only linger just split of a second longer and I go for it, I, it's a slippery slope. That's it. I'm done. So I have to be very rigorous with myself and I have to prepare ahead of time. Today, I don't have as many situations that would cause me to be triggered or, or opportunities to, to um, act out. But I did practice a lot, you know, the, being prepared, be preparing for you know, if I need to call my sponsor, if I need to call people, or if I need to go to the meetings, what are the meetings, where they are, what time. Just being prepared. So I'm not going to go, obviously, into all the details, what, how you need to prepare, but you've got to kind of think, or I, I had to think, you know, how I basically, I would live out that day. And at the end of the day, I would reanalyze again how it was. So when I was very, very triggered in the beginning, I would do a lot of surrendering. <laughs> I mean, I would sometimes have to pull over if I was driving on the side of the road and repeat probably 50 times, I surrender, I'm powerless over this, I'm sur- I surrender, I'm powerless over this, I surrender, and so on and on, until the impulse and the, that, that, um, the pressure to act out or do something about it went away. The minute I started acting that way and just basically focusing more on staying sober, the more practice I had. And so... One thing that I've learned um, in preparing for um, even this speech, I wanted to kind of, you know, break down more of my way of thinking. I thought, well, exposure to trigger, and I shared this in one of my meetings recently, that, you know, I've always thought that being exposed to triggers is a bad thing and I have to run from it. But in reality, it's almost like going to a gym. If I practice being exposed to the trigger and I keep saying no to it, then I'm in a certain way developing resistance and almost like re- exercising my brain muscle to say no. It's like recreating those neural pathways in my brain. And consequently, conversely, if I limit my exposure to that, then I'm building, I'm building a habit of avoiding discomfort. Sorry, I had to write that down, which will make me more susceptible to temptation and I can't, when I can't avoid exposure. So it is a good thing to be sometimes exposed to the trigger. So I have to look at it as a friend rather than an enemy that creates shame. Shame is dangerous for me, and I definitely need to run away from shame as much as I can. Also, another thing I have to change in the way I think, because my self-talk is very negative and putting me down and creating more shame, is how I would frame that shame. For example, if I was making a mess somewhere or if I was uh, late for work and I, that was an important meeting, that's a better example. And I would start talking to myself, well, you stupid, you stupid woman, you know, like you should have known this earlier. You should have been there, you know, you stupid. And I really started rephrasing this in, well, that was a stupid thing to leave my house too late. So I was late for, for the meeting. I'm good and I'm smart. 
but and it basically that does not this kind of behavior does not align align with my values. So I had to change from I'm stupid to it was a stupid thing to do. In progress, this is progress, not perfection. One step at a time. Eventually, I had to learn not to not to guilt myself so much either. Why I focus on shame so much is because I've heard it even from many people in this program that shame is the driving force for our acting out. And that certainly was my problem a lot. I still suffer from shame. I still have to deal with it. But I'm much better today in, thank you, in changing that talk, self-talk. So I want to be able to explain one more thing is that, you know, in my head, I have an inner writer and an elephant. The inner writer is the logic, knowing individual or the persona that knows what's right, to, what is right, what I should and should not do. But the elephant is the is my attic. The elephant is the one that pushes in with a big old buddy and just wants to take over. And I really have to pay attention to which one of those personalities I feed. If I am prepared for my day and for my day in a program in recovery, then I'm helping my writer, the, the, the inner writer that, is, that wants to do the right thing. But if I don't prepare, if I don't pray, if I don't look over my behaviors from a previous day, if I don't make amends, then that elephant is just pushing through. And he just wraps this big old trunk around me and says, see, you can totally go for it. You deserve it, you know? It's like you deserve a little blowing a little steam off just for standing upright. <laughs> It's like, no, I have to sometimes be uncomfortable you know, and be able to say no. So those are the things that definitely helped me with creating also my self-control. But just to finish up, since I only have five minutes left, I wanted to wrap it up. Steps to winning under fire. Those are the things that I practice every day. Some of them are I'm very conscious about them. Some of them are very subconscious. I've already created a habit. But one is don't panic when it happens. Just breathe. When, when I am in a trigger and I'm feeling very much I'm going to go for it, just take a moment to breathe, exhale, so I can focus. Because when I don't have oxygen in my brain, I start making stupid decisions. I want to make the right decisions. Every day, I have a choice. I can either stay sober or I can act out. Nobody tells me what to do. I have the choice. And knowing that I have that choice, give me a little bit of a break and there's no pressure that, oh my gosh, I have to stay sober <laughs> because I have the choice, but I want to stay sober. That's my choice. So I pray and I surrender, like I said earlier, a million times. Then another thing I read sometimes, the 18-wheeler, and there's somebody told me in the program that I need to go through an entire 18-wheeler and pick out everything that said that, that resembles a prayer and then put all that onto an index card and carry with me. And when I am triggered, I need to recite this. And it worked. I took that advice to heart and I did that. And every time I had to, I had to face my, my enemy, my, my, um, my addiction, I would pull out that card because when I'm in under fire, I cannot think holy things. I want to pray. I don't want to think about this. I just want to act out. But that prayer was this last moment where I can still think logically when the writer still ha is in charge and I can read that prayer over and over until the temptation goes away. And that was an incredible thing. 
Um, I also walk myself through the future. So let's just say I am triggered. I think, okay, okay, fine. What's going to happen next when I act out, when I go for it? What's going to be the next thing? And then I have to answer honestly. How will I feel? What will be the consequence? What's going to happen after that? What is my next, what is the outcome? And usually I talk myself out of it just with these few follow-up questions. But again, I have to do it the second the trigger shows up and then the moment I feel that heat of that fire that I have to immediately act. Call someone. I always call either my sponsor or any of the women in the program. I have few men on my, on my call list that I feel comfortable and safe calling and they have helped me many times. So if I have somebody that I can trust, I'll call them immediately or my accountability coach, or my therapist, if everything else fails. <laughs> but then I also, if I am, uh, if I've done all these things, and I'm still triggered, I change the environment. So if I'm in bed and I'm triggered, I get out of bed, go to the different room. Or if I'm in a store, I'll maybe if I saw somebody, I'll move to a different department just so I can be safe. Um, also go to at least two or three meetings then a day if I can. Um, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm in trouble and my program is about to suffer, I go to a meeting every single day if I can. Absolutely increase my program. And then go through a daily sobriety renewal questions. Um, that's something that we also have in, in our publications. Um, and then I read program literature, like the, even the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. Love it. Love that story. And then meditate. And I do something nice for myself, which is the same self-care. So either going for a walk or swim or, or taking a friend for a walk and just have a chit chat or maybe going buying a nice cup of tea just for myself or getting manicure or facial. Do something nice just for myself. It doesn't have to involve a whole lot of effort. But, um, but those are the things that have worked. And so today I'm counting every single day as success because I'm grateful that what God gave me gave me the fellowship, gave me friends that I have here. It's an incredible gift. The biggest gift that I was given was my life back, number one, and number two is my sobriety. So I love hearing everybody's stories, and I'm so grateful that all of you have joined today to hear somebody speak. And I'm really grateful for all my friends who also logged in from, from my, my meetings and I cannot express the gratitude that I have for all of you. I love every single person in this, in this program because I can feel myself and I can be absolutely true to myself and to what God wanted me to be and how he wants me to be. And I hope that my story will bring, you can resonate at least with something in there that can help you. That's, my, that's ultimately what I would like that you can get out of this. But with that, I'll finish. Thank you again so much. I love you all. <laughs> I love this meeting. <laughs> Mike, I'm a sexaholic. Go ahead. Uh, Dorota, what do you bring to the table? Are you kidding me? Uh, you and the other ladies that come to the meetings that I've attended, I, I can't even really express what that does for me, just that you're there. Uh, mm -hmm. Not to mention how you participate. You're so warm and friendly. As a sexaholic, I need to learn how to relate to women as people as friends as and, and and you and the other ladies do so much to help me in my recovery journey and uh, i just will always be eternally grateful to you and the rest of you thank you for that thank you mike i gotta tell you it goes both ways because 
you know, I, thanks to all the men and their honesty and their vulnerability in those rooms, I have changed my core belief about men. So I appreciate that as well. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. I do see on the chats, Kathy G from Pennsylvania has a question. She can't talk right now, but she asks, when you're being rigorously honest with your husband, as you said, what exactly do you tell him? Uh, great question. Thank you so much for asking that. It's still not easy because in my head, I want to run. I don't want to tell him anything. I want my, I want my elephant to be in charge and I want to lie. But when I come and tell him my, my recent, most recent example was I'm on the uh, weight loss program where uh, chat was introduced and I did not know about it before I signed up. But when it popped up, I went to my husband within 30 minutes of this appearing on my phone. I said, you know, I just noticed that it just appeared on my phone. I knew about it. I just did not know when it's going to come and what are the limitations. But I want you to be aware of that it's here. And he was very grateful. He, of course, said that he doesn't feel comfortable about it because that's part of my boundaries and his. And expressed that he's just, there's a lot of fear coming. And so I had to respond to that as well. But it's basically... I know my truth. I know that I'm not acting out. I'm not doing anything wrong at this point. If there's anything that pops up, like let's just say one of the acting out partners contacting me, I come into him and disclose that. I said, you know, so-and-so just contacted me, but this is what I did. I did not respond. I blocked him. I deleted the email. Just want to let you know. So it's just really coming forward because at the end, I have to know how scared he is. He's terrified that I might act out again. He is still that all the betrayal is coming back up for him. So um, yes, as honest as I possibly can be. Um, but sometimes if I'm triggered and I took care of the trigger, I don't tell him about it because there's no need to put him through it. Only with something really could um, be pretty significant. Hopefully that answered your question. Thanks, Toronto. My name's Lee, and I'm a sexaholic. I really, really enjoyed the talk, and I appreciate it very much. The vulnerability uh, and how you presented it was good. I was uh, one of those people who was afraid of women from abuse that I got as a child, and coming into recovery has taught me to feel differently about that. I hear a lot of the principles uh, that you uh, teased out. One of them was willing to go to any length. And I think that's right at the front of all the actions you take. And at the end of the actions, I also hear that quote in the big book where it says, we recoil as if from a hot flame. And uh, the um, steps you go through, are really uh, uh, provocative to think about, and the honesty is is a great thing. So very much appreciate your talk, and thanks for being willing to be vulnerable. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for your comment. I appreciate the honesty as well. Hi, Dorota. It's Ahmed, sexolic from Iran. Thank you so much for your share for your courage and honesty. And I, I, I could really identify when you talk about shame uh, as a man for after 
many years being molested by others and after that being willing to even trigger others to have sex with me was very shameful for me also in my life and yeah i was blaming myself for many years about that but when i came to say it showed it showed me that uh it, it was normal it was normal it it was from my disease and whoever even was where me would do the same thing and i and, and nowadays i i don't feel shame at all about that and i i i even uh, feel courageous to talk about that even in and meetings or everywhere and i think i i should be proud of myself because with this disease uh, that i could overcome my problem and thank you so much for reminding me that that i need to be proud of myself not uh, being shameful thank you Ahmed, thank, thank you, you so much for sharing that. Um, I thank you because I know it's not easy to talk about things that have happened to us when we were at least, at the very least, abused when we we're younger. And so, thank you for even saying that and sharing it. And you know, just keep coming back. And that's all I can say. You know, because the more you come to those meetings, that you always hear those little, little seeds here and there that really help. I'm glad you're here. If I could jump in real quick, it looks like Stephen has his hand up. Stephen in France. Yeah, thank you, Doctor. Thanks for thanks for your share. Uh, the reason the reason I wanted to share was to just say, uh, well, I want to say I'm very touched by your honesty and you talked about where you come from, how you got here, and you talked about love and God and acceptance, and that's uh, that that's the kind of stuff that I need to hear, you know. And um, there's. Uh, there's no big thing with a clean time. Trust me. Trust me. I'm get, coming up to eight months in this fellowship here. I've been in another fellowship for 34 years. And what that gives me is the power to be an enormous, huge, powerful hypocrite. And um, it really, you know, I've got a lot of respect for, for, for clean time and sober time. There's a lot of respect for it, but it doesn't equal automatically great recovery and it just doesn't work that way, you know. And it, if each one of us is shared honestly, we touch others when we speak. And I was really touched by your share, you know. I've got I've got an enormous pain in my ankle. I've got a sciatic pain, which is hurting me. And uh, I don't know, something's been happening the last few days because I'm on holiday. And, and what's been happening is just... I've got more and more resolve to think I'm just going to, I'm just, uh, is that my time? Sorry. I'm just going to stick with God and stick with this program because it's, it's working for me and I'm, I'm feeling good despite the pain, but thank you very much. And uh, just uh, want to say, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, no, Stephen, merci beaucoup. <laughs> so glad you are here. And it, it, despite the pain, that's exactly the right thing to do. I mean, sometimes I just would be tired or, or in pain. I'm like, oh, forget it. I'm not going to a meeting. Now, that's exactly when I really need it more than any other time. So I'm so grateful you're here. This is uh, Francis Dodger. Thank you so much for your share. It was really very, very good. And uh, I want to just thank you for the right the, the end when you said, you know what you're doing now is right and you're keeping going. 
that's what I need to hear because I've been through the mill these last few weeks and I've been thinking, have I done this? Have I done that? Have I done the other? So to actually sit here today and think, well, I'm sober today and I know that I'm doing the right thing. And to actually hear somebody else say that was a great encouragement. So thank you very, very much. Thank you so much, Francis. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm glad that you were able to connect with something that I said. But this is the biggest gift. Thank you. I am Federico Sextaholic. Um, yeah wow what a share thank you so much for um for that share i i really got two things like there there was there was an amazing amount in there but two real things that stood out for me one is the the energy and the enthusiasm for sobriety and recovery really came through Mm -hmm. um and that's something that happened to me after i spent about a year and a half in the program relapsing and i definitely wasn't Mm -hmm energetic or enthusiastic about the program. I was just in pain. And then I got sober and I got enthusiastic. You know, I love being sober. You know, this is the the biggest miracle for me that's come through SA is is sobriety, is recovery. Uh, It's not, it's being free from that obsession one day at a time. Uh, And I'm still enthusiastic today. uh, And I'm still grateful at the end of the day, every single day that I've been sober that day, one day at a time. And I really heard that in your share. And the second thing is the program of action. Uh, so I, I hear a lot there in what you shared about um, something happening, a trigger or whatever, um, and taking action. So moving into action rather than just sitting and letting my mind uh, take over, because that's been a, a big part of my recovery journey as well. Uh, so, yeah, so grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Frederica. I really appreciate you saying that. I'm so glad I, you connected as well. And yes, I love being sober today because I feel like I have been freed. When I, before I was chained down and I felt so heavy from my addiction, and today I really I can see things clearly, and it's such a big gift. So I definitely I I, I agree with what you just said. Thank you. And let's open it up for anyone to share now. Hey, Dorota, this is a Stan Alaska. Uh, really appreciate your share. Um, hello. Um, yes, from. Uh, your uh, talk today um, definitely connected with the talk about the 18 wheeler prayer. Um, this is my list of 18 wheeler prayer um, that I printed out uh, that my sponsor had me print out. And I recognized when I first um, entered SA over two years ago, um, I remember being on a phone meeting and uh, somebody mentioning the 18 wheeler and opening up my white book and just reading those prayers, um, just how powerful they were and uh, how the power that they would give uh, for me for the action I would take to pray and surrender. And uh, my sponsor, um, when I got my new sponsor about nine months ago, um, he had me write them out, put them on eight and a half by 11 and start using them and um, just recognizing how important they are on a regular basis. And very thankful that uh, you brought that up and uh, thankful for your powerful um, uh, experience, strength and hope. Uh, That's a lot of encouragement to me and uh, very thankful for your share today. Thank you so much, Stan. I appreciate you saying that. And I'm so glad that, the, the whole 18 wheeler prayer is surrounding the world. So hopefully everybody can have it in their pocket because it definitely saved my life. So I'm so glad you shared that as well. Thank you. We have two hands, hands up in chat. Let's go with Susie B first and then Nora T. Thank you. This is Susie. I'm a sexaholic. Um, thank you so much, Dorothea. You have a powerful story and a course you bring a lot to the table i'm really grateful for your courage and i think it does take courage to share in this in any kind of forum um, and i really heard your uh, spiritual experience 
and uh, as um, Big Book Appendix Spiritual Experience describes it, the words that you've had a profound alteration in your reaction to life. And that really comes through. I love hearing about miracles, and you are such a miracle on so many levels. You survived so much, and your your life is a real, I think, a testament to the power of our higher power. And I so appreciate how you keep keep coming and keep showing up and doing the next right thing. And um, thank you so much for your share today. Thank you so much, Susan. Susie, I, I, I appreciate it. And yes, I have been called a miracle many times. And until actually people from the medical field mentioned something, I was oblivious. I had no idea how big that, big that was. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you have no idea how big that is. So, yes, and I'm very grateful because I know that God has worked through this, that I had nothing to do with it. He saved me because I was supposed to be here today, perhaps. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, thank you. Nora T, are you there? Thank you so much, Dorota, for sharing. Um, mm-hmm. That really means a lot to me. Um, you said something that I really could relate to, and my sponsor told me uh, something similar to it, that we're always, uh, we are all the same distance from the ditch. Mm-hmm. Um, my sponsor has years of sobriety and I only have almost 10 days of sobriety and she just told me that um, she's threatened to to go act out just like you said it, it just only takes one yes to the addiction and then we're off onto again and um, that really I was like that was so humble how could someone who has so many years of sobriety tell someone like me that and it just means a lot to me. And trust me, you brought a lot to the table. And thank you for sharing. Thank you so much, Nora. I've got to be very careful because comments like yours, thank you so much for that. But man, they're going to work on my ego. <laughs> so I appreciate that you were able to, to connect with, with something that I said. And yes, we are all the same distance from the ditch. And that gives me comfort that I'm also worthy of being here and contributing to this fellowship. So thank you for saying that, Nora. Still have time for a couple more shares. I'm Sarah. I'm a sexaholic from Georgia, U.S. Uh, Thank you. I have the privilege of being in meetings with you uh, pretty regularly. So um, it's great to hear you share. Um, Thanks for your honesty and your courage. And I just want to say I just really, really love you. And it's wonderful to see um, just so much light and happiness in you. Thanks. Thank you, my sweet sister. I love you back, you know, thousandfold probably. But, you know, you were one of the first people that I met in the program. And I'm so grateful because you've seen me in moments when I would not even pick up the 24-hour chip because I was not feeling like I can, I, that I deserve it. And today, be, for you being here to support me, thank you so much, because you are one of the biggest inspirations in my life. Thank you. Thanks. I remember the first day you came. To- <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bob, a sexaholic. I'd like to share. Uh, go ahead. Hey, uh, yeah, I'm also one of uh, Dorota's meeting, meeting uh, pals, and I remember 
when Dorota came in and I remember that, uh, that time that you came in and, and that you had slipped and mm-hmm. I was just, uh, I was amazed that you had come back and also amazed at how much harder you worked and how you, how you used, um, that, that slip, that, that negative to make it into an amazing positive. And, uh, I think I could speak for everybody and everybody's already said this, but being around you at meetings is just a joy. And, uh, it's always, it's, it's, uh, it's been a great experience being, uh, being your brother in recovery in this, in this process. And thank you again. Thank you so much, Bob. I love you. <laughs> you are definitely my brother. You're not just your buddy. You know, you definitely are much more than that. And I'm so grateful to have people like you in my life, and especially on the male side, because I've always, you know, I did not know how to interact with men other than in the form of acting out. So having friends in this family and, and in this fellowship and having men as my brothers and truly feeling that way is one of another biggest gifts that I was given. So I'm grateful. And yes, you know, one of those things when I had that slip, all of you were able to love me and support me and give me hugs and you were just there. So that's part of who you guys were and how you contributed to my sobriety today. So I'm very grateful for that. Well, I guess I'll say something real quick. Dorota, that was really awesome. Courage and vulnerability. And I saw emotion. I saw some tears in the different panels. So you definitely touched people. Thank you for your share. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for sharing and saying something. I did want to finish with one quote that is very dear to my heart. Um, that's what really helped me with, with, the, with the sobriety as well, is J.R.R. Tolkien, when he said, or one of the characters in his book said, someday you will have to choose between what's right and what's easy. And it's such a big thing. Um, what's right is not always easy. That's a beautiful way to fin- finish the sharing section. Thank you, Dorota. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.